everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Williams. And on this edition, we're going to be visiting with an old friend, Joseph Hammond. Now, Joseph, without question, is one of the best investigative journalists on the planet, and he has done some wonderful work. You all know that we've had Joseph on talking about a number of different issues in the Middle East. He does not shy away from going right to the hot spot, no matter where it might be in the world. And we all appreciate the work that Joseph does. Now, his most recent piece is called Foreign Fighters and Mercenaries Fueling the Libyan Conflict. It reads like a novel. Unfortunately, it is indeed true. Joseph, welcome, my friend. And why don't you give us a little background on what brought you to this story and then how it came about. I got interested in this story uh, based on my time that I'd spent uh, in the region, and I had been traveling a couple times last year to Sudan. We've talked about that on previous mm-hmm. podcasts, and uh, this is something that I was talking to you know, Sudanese officials. They were very concerned about the situation in Libya. I talked, interviewed the uh, foreign minister of Sudan in his office, um, and I spoke to other people in, in various government ministries. They were very, very interested here, and I just think – and then I'd also – uh, in the in Morocco, they were also talking about what was happening in Libya. With you had uh, terrorists uh, who are members of the Polisario organization, uh, which is a organization that has a heritage uh, that was Marxist uh, independence movement uh, for an area uh, known as the Western Sahara, which is part of Morocco. Um, and a lot of those people who had this background have now joined uh, Al Qaeda type uh, groups. Uh, elsewhere in Africa and ended up in, in Libya. So you have this very weird confluence of, of you know, terrorist groups and, and all, quite frankly, mercenaries. And all that was, you know, things that I was filing away and taking notes on. Then we had the United you know, Nations report that came out last year. And in that was a massive report, really good report, uh, over 200 pages. And buried in that report, we had discussions about Sudanese fighters that were in Libya. We had discussions about uh, Chadian uh, rebels that were you know, operating out of Libya. And we had a very curious uh, reference to a pal- an armed Palestinian faction uh, that was active in Libya, though the UN report did not say who that was. I followed up, got emails back from several UN offices that would not comment further than what was in the report. Um, but for a number of reasons, you know, in the article that I wrote for Real Clear Defense, I concluded that it was uh, Hamas uh, that is, you know, the acting in, in Libya. And I have had, also wrote a story about uh, that as well. So you have Hamas, Al-Qaeda. I mean, this is like a who's who of the bad guys. Are all mercenaries in Libya? Uh, I mean, it's not. It is. It is really a who's who of of, of the bad guys, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about uh, um, Al Qaeda and ISIS. Um, I was talking earlier about Polisario and a guy that was a very senior level uh, leader in the Polisario terrorist organization. Um, eventually, transitioned to be fighting with you know Al Qaeda forces in Libya, um, and some of them have been killed uh, fighting in Libya. With regards to uh, ISIS, which of course you know is very much um, you know the terrorist group that's getting the most media attention, um, even though I think that there's a very good chance that uh, we could see a revival for Al Qaeda. But regarding ISIS, you know when ISIS things started to go very bad for them in, in Syria because there was a massive U.S.-led coalition designed to fight terrorism in Syria and, and Iraq, and specifically you know targeting uh, ISIS, they decided that 
Libya was going to be their outfitting uh, to borrow a phase uh, from uh, World War II, their like last readout where they'd fall back position to uh, once the you know struggle appeared lost in in Syria and Iraq. They're still present there, obviously as well, but they started sending off, uh, clipping away you know uh, small numbers of fighters to go to you know set up operations in Libya, and they were very active uh, in Libya. They're 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 still in Libya, um, and this is why the Libyan government at one point said that, you know what, we're not going to allow any visas for Syrians or Palestinians. And I say the Libyan government very loosely because the internationally recognized Libyan government only controls a small fraction uh, of the country. Uh, there are rival governments, rival factions. This is something that these mercenaries and various groups can, can play off of. Uh, but this is why they actually you know, banned nationalist countries from coming to Libya because there are so many foreign fighters um, going there and working as mercenaries. In particular, you have, I think, what's fueled the situation in regard to mercenaries in the most classical sense of the word is that fact that along Libya's southern border, um, you know, like elsewhere in Africa, you have um, ethnic groups uh, on both sides of that border uh, that share allegiance to each other, but not necessarily the central government. So it's very easy for, you know, one someone to recruit from across the border if they're of the same ethnic group. That's certainly fueling the conflict that we see in, in, in Chad, where you have rebels um, that are you know, going across to the border into Libya to launch attacks into Chad. They're getting support from uh, the LNA, which is one of the uh, main factions, the Libyan National Army under Field Marshal Haftar. They're getting, they're getting support from them. Haftar is also reached out to uh, the Darfur rebels. Uh, we, we obviously, the situation in Darfur was a much-discussed issue uh, over a decade ago. The situation there has improved greatly, and a lot of the rebels have disarmed, reintegrated, and there's been, you know, a couple months ago, the government of Sudan launched a disarmament campaign in Darfur where they were buying weapons and trying to disarm the situation, but there are Darfurian rebels. These foreign minister told me about 600, they believe, have left Darfur because the conditions there are not, you know, great for them to fight this insurgency. You know, given that the, the renewed government area efforts to reintegrate this area, um, the the rebels in uh, Darfur were simply, you know, bought off by by the government or international donors and, and laid down their arms. And so this Manawi faction has gone over and is is fighting in Libya, um, and that's a real concern for the Sudanese because they're worried that any time, you know, Haftar, who's using these forces, could end that. Um, relationship, and then what are they going to do? Well, they have guns, they have additional training now, probably than they could have got in Sudan because, you know, Gaddafi's Libya was purchasing weapons from around the world, and its weapons have really uh, destabilized uh, much of Africa. So where does that put us, the United States and, and, the, and NATO, the United Nations, where are they at this point in time as this, you know, menagerie of of um mercenaries um are basically running amok here in northern africa well i think i'm really glad that you you mentioned nato and i, I want to come to that uh march last year president trump was appearing alongside uh the uh leader of italy and he basically denied any role for the u.s uh, in, in solving the Libyan uh, quagmire, even though there was much, you know, there was a lot of urging there uh, from the Libyan government and continues to be for a stronger uh, U.S. role. I think that this should be, a, you know, a cautionary tale about an intervention, even with the best of in intentions, that has led to the destabilization, not just of Libya, but of the entire region. And as my article tries to show, you know, 
there's been a lot of reporting on the weapons. I mentioned just now the weapons that were Gaddafi had, and these weapons have been smuggled, you know, all the way. It definitely aided the growth of Boko Haram, the destabilization of the Sahel, the situation we have in Niger. But as my article tries to show, has that had an impact all the way from Morocco to Hamas, uh, which um, denies that they're involved in, in uh, Libya. My uh, reporting shows there's strong circumstantial evidence to suggest they are. You know, first of all, the fact that Hamas has commented on the past and the situation in, in Libya. Within the, the NATO context, you know, uh, one of the debates, I think it's important, that it's important because this is something that a lot of NATO countries, in particular the southern, uh, the southern front countries, uh, so to speak, which includes uh, Portugal, Spain, Italy, France, they're very, very concerned about these issues. Other NATO members, uh, the Nordic countries, uh, the Eastern European countries, much less concerned because conflict instability in Africa that creates refugees that flood in um, is not a big issue for them. And this creates – and they're more focused about uh, – concerned about Russia. So this is a huge tension within the regional politics within NATO. Uh, we've had for the several NATO past summits. You've had uh, those southern front countries uh, being separately to discuss these issues. Um, and I think how that reflects on the debate in, in the United States is that um, you know there's a big discussion about under the, the um, NATO charter, NATO members need to be paying two percent of their GDP toward defense. For a mm -hmm. lot of countries, though, that can be you know what's counted toward that is paying pensions for soldiers that retired years ago, uh, which is noble and admirable, but you know doesn't really do anything for improving the security of the alliance overall in the present. As such, you know, country like Italy, you know, you could point to and say, shame on Italy does not pay two percent of GDP, but it does pay one point six percent of its GDP, and that one point six percent is going to very useful counterterrorism and stability operations uh, in Africa, um, you know, not particularly in, in in Libya, but elsewhere. And I think that uh, you know, my reporting on this shows you know what the concerns are and how that you know why the stability of these countries really can you know have an impact uh, if we increase the stability of those countries uh, can have an impact across uh, the region. So I certainly think that the United States uh, should play uh, a stronger role in you know improving the stability uh, of, of Libya and this whole region because the refugee crisis that we're seeing is definitely destabilizing force. Uh, in Europe and, and, and very much draining on these countries and, you know, a big uh, distraction and, as we know, security concerns as well. We'll be back with more after this from Vizio Smart TV. The right TV can transform your living space into an epic home theater. Introducing the all-new D-Series Smart TV collection from Vizio. Vivid colors and crisp, ultra-high-definition clarity bring images to light in breathtaking detail at four times the resolution of 1080p Full HD. Select models feature 4K Ultra HD resolution, and unlike typical edge-lit LED televisions, the D-Series is lit by a full-array LED backlight that distributes LEDs across the entire screen for superior light uniformity and picture performance. The D-Series connects easily to the internet with built-in Wi-Fi. And with Vizio Internet Apps Plus, you'll have access to popular apps such as Zumo and Netflix to find the hottest movies, TV shows, music, and more. The all-new Vizio D-Series Smart TV Collection. A beautifully smart way to watch TV.
And now more with Joseph Hammond. Well, you know, Joseph, um, what amazes me is that people do not understand. We're fighting a lot of little wars all over the world. And um, I guess, and you'll be the expert in telling me, at this point in time, uh, it seems as if uh, the Trump administration, and not just pointing to them, but others have done it before, and their generals have decided, you know what, um, we're going to pull back and try to let um, let some of these go. And that, that then leads to your point, which you had in your outstanding story, um, that we risk the opportunity of perhaps the destabilization and making actually things worse on a terrorism situation. Yes, I think that's uh, been, you know, the history of uh, the important history of the United States interventions, you know, in the region since uh, 9-11, quite frankly. We've been willing to go in there and solve the immediate uh, security challenge or, in the case of Gaddafi, deal with a perceived uh, immediate humanitarian threat. Uh, but there's there's no you know follow up uh, w- regarding this, and that's there's a, there's very little political or there's very little political uh, follow up for the the long term building and stability in those countries, and you know that is something we should definitely play a larger role uh, in supporting. Talking to Joseph Hammond here, the author of Foreign Fighters, Mercenaries Fueling the Libyan Conflict. Um, it's an outstanding read. It will be linked below and please read it. Joseph, um, we've had conversations. Last time we talked, we were talking about Boko Haram. Is it possible that for whatever reason, we have a blind spot, talking about the United States has a blind spot when it comes to Africa? It just doesn't seem like we are, you know, showing up there. Yes, and I think that that is a direct result of of U.S. politics, it's not an issue that you know many voters are concerned about. Um, though there are you know individual members of Congress which are very concerned about these issues. I think we spoke last time about uh, Congresswoman Federica Wilson, and sure. and uh, so there are there are examples uh, like that. Uh, so I think that this is just something that it is a real security challenges in Africa, but it's something we definitely should. I mean, African populations are expanding. This is Investing heavily, you know, other great powers are taking uh, increased concern here, and and we should as as well. And you know, we sh- I think there's also a concern to one of the, p- the things I was trying to achieve with my piece is there was an idea that you know African security issues and Africa's problems are Africa's. And I'm trying to suggest with this reporting that other have done this issue, especially with tying in Hamas, that this links to things that we not just in Africa but the Middle East, and also as I've been talking about the refugee problem, um, which will directly impact the security of our European allies. I mean, quite frankly, if they have to spend you know, time and effort intercepting refugee boats in the Mediterranean, that's less uh, effort and time that security boats can be spent on you know, counter-smuggling, uh, intercepting terrorists, um, and this is a, a huge security challenge uh, in, in its own right. So I, I really think that this is an issue uh, that I'm, I'm definitely passionate about, but I think that the United States you know, needs to play uh, a greater role in preserving the security uh, of, of Africa and thinking about uh, African uh, security, especially uh, with a long-term uh, time frame, not just let's see what the problem at the moment, but if we do this, what is going to be the long-term consequences of that engagement? Well, with Africa, 
and the Middle East being, you know, so close, um, we're basically on the fringe right now of given what your reporting is, and it's outstanding reporting, we're sitting near a tinderbox, no? Yes, and I think that, you know, that's something uh, that a lot of uh, a lot of people don't realize is that what we're seeing in, in, in Africa, you know, now these groups that are, you know, creating small extremist groups in the Sahel countries in North Africa, um, you know, these are groups that are now just local, but they have, you know, global aspirations. That was something that I talked, spoke about with Congresswoman woman Federica Wilson when I interviewed her, and I know we had a different podcast on, on that issue. But, you know, her interest in, in fighting Boko Haram um, was that she's worried that, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, this is a group that is able to organize in America and strike, you know, um, at the heart of America in the inner city and elsewhere with terrorist attacks. So this is definitely uh, an issue which Americans should pay attention to uh, now what's going on in Africa so that it's not something that we have to worry about uh, in America, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line. So how, what do we do? Um, we have a lot of passionate listeners here. Is there something that we as a collective should be doing? Should we be talking to our Congress people? Should we, we be talking to um, uh, members of, um, you know, different organizations here in the, in the country? What should we be doing to help bring this um, definite uh, issue to the, you know, to the, to, um, to get people to pay attention to Africa? Yeah, I definitely think that, uh, you know, we should be writing to our Congress uh, people uh, about this and, and trying to raise attention. I think there's an educational component as well. There's a lot of effort to learn um, strategic languages. I was a recipient of a grant to when I was in university to study uh, one of the strategic languages, uh, Arabic, but we need to, you know, broaden interests of uh, young Americans to study other uh, difficult uh, languages that are going to be, you know, very important um, in, in regarding the African geopolitics uh, for the coming decades. So, you know, that's something that doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, there, you know, there are scholarships, for example, I'm not going to, you know, single out any languages that, you know, there's full scholarships at various universities to study these languages, but there are African languages for which there are no scholarships, um, you know, which there are Yoruba, for example, in Nigeria, which there are millions and millions more speakers of these languages. Um, so this is definitely something uh, that we can work on. Um, there's also, we should also work on getting that our heritage speak. Um, to uh, you know, to be more to engage in these issues um, and to uh, help spread awareness throughout the general public about what's about these the emerging terrorist threats there, uh, how these things are connected, and how these things you know security of the African streets, what that means for Main Street. Right, and the fact that so many uh, we have a uh, basically an ongoing pipeline of um, of African. Um, people from Africa migrating to the United States and, and basically coming in and, and being uh, good, um, you know, good workers and good, um, good citizens. But uh, that's that pipeline is uh, something we should also be careful about uh, in finding out what you're talking about, the infiltration of the inner cities and all that sort of thing. Uh, yes. Uh, I think that, you know, that is something, you know, you know, 
one of the things that is, is an issue um, that is a, could be an easy win uh, for the United States is to look into some of these um, money transfers uh, mm-hmm. that are going on between the United States and elsewhere and, and back to Africa. You know, African financial institutions are very weak. They often don't have this kind of security guards uh, that we find elsewhere in, in the world. Example of that we had, I mean, my article is about Libya and the South. Uh, right. The example I would point to is it's Somalia. There was an institution known as uh, there's many um, money transfer companies uh, that were involved uh, in the transfer of funds from the Somali diaspora, particularly in the UK. Um, and they ran into a lot of legal problems when the kingdom finally looked into this and saw that a lot of the funds uh, were being used, um, you know, I assume without the knowledge of these companies uh, to transfer money that ended up in the hands of uh, Al Shabaab. So this is an area uh, with these money transfers. Um, you know, given, you know, we can reach out to African, you know, countries, improve their financial institutions, which will be good for the individuals as well, increase transparency, um, and uh, get rid of some of these terrorism finance issues. When I was in the Sudan, that was something that they were, had been working on, you know, I interviewed the Minister of Finance, the outgoing Minister of Finance, and he was very proud that one of his accomplishments was he'd been here to Washington and spoke with people at the Treasury Department and made concrete steps to, uh lessen the likelihood that uh, Sudan could be used uh, for terrorism financing and, and money laundering. Joseph, thanks very much. Where can we find your articles? I know that the uh, one we have right here is Real uh, Clear Defense, and um, you know there's a lot of uh, outstanding work that you do. Um, tell us where we can find it. And tell us where we can follow you on Twitter. Uh, yes, uh, Real Clear Defense, I write there. Uh, the Diplomat, Alara uh, via English. And my Twitter handle is at Joseph H. All right, Joseph, thank you very much. Thanks for the outstanding reporting. And we definitely will have you back again sometime soon. Uh, Thank you so much. Great speaking to you. Always a pleasure, my friend. Joseph Hammond, who wrote an outstanding story, which will be linked to our box below. Foreign fighters and mercenaries fueling the Libyan conflict. We'll be back with more of the Politically Incorrect podcast after this. The Right TV can transform your living space into an epic home theater. Introducing the all-new D-Series Smart TV Collection from Vizio. Vivid colors and crisp, ultra-high-definition clarity bring images to light in breathtaking detail at four times the resolution of 1080p Full HD. Select models feature 4K Ultra HD resolution. And unlike typical edge-lit LED televisions, the D-Series is lit by a full-array LED backlight that distributes LEDs across the entire screen for superior light uniformity and picture performance. The D-Series connects easily to the internet with built-in Wi-Fi. And with Vizio Internet Apps Plus, you'll have access to popular apps such as Zumo and Netflix to find the hottest movies, TV shows, music, and more. The all-new Vizio D-Series Smart TV Collection. A beautifully smart way to watch TV. Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Now, if you have not yet subscribed to us, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, it's free and easy to do. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store, Google Play, Blog Talk Radio. You can find us on the Stitcher app where you can find a ton of outstanding podcasts 
of pretty much any genre you want. And finally, but certainly not least, is the TuneIn app. If you're one of the 130 million people, myself included, who have downloaded the app, you can listen to us either on your tablet or, of course, on your smartphone. All you have to do is go and search Politically Incorrect Podcast. That's the Politically Incorrect Podcast. It'll pop up. You hit the favorite button, and every week you'll get a new episode of the show, okay? So easy to do. Just go to one of those five places I just mentioned, hit the favorite button, subscribe, and you'll get the Politically Incorrect podcast delivered to your cell phone or to your tablet every week, okay? Simple, so please subscribe today. All right, special thanks again to our outstanding friend and wonderful journalist, Joseph Hammond. By all means, check out his latest column, which of course you can find in the realdefense.com. That's realdefense.com. It's called Foreign Fighters and Mercenaries Fueling the Libyan Conflict. Okay, by all means, check it out. So for Joseph and myself, Jim Williams, we thank you for listening to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast, and we hope that you have a wonderful and safe weekend. Until next time, take care.